It's 2020, and there's too many podcasts. When did you even subscribe to this one? It's the Drunken Gumshoes. Each episode, we sit down with a stiff drink and a famous children's novel. Reading them as an adult makes you feel really smart, until they make you feel really stupid. Today's episode is The Famous Five, Five Go Off in a Caravan. So load up those caravans and head on down the road, because it's time to solve this mystery! Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jack Wefso. I'm Faye Derrickson. And we are here uh, for this episode uh, reading uh, another one of those fantastic children's mysteries. Uh, this time we're reading uh, a mystery from uh, Across the Pond. Uh, this is a uh, uh, book from a series of uh, British children's mysteries called The Famous Five uh, by Enid Blyton. Yes. Uh, I don't know which number this is in the series, but the title of the book we're going to read today is The Famous Five, Five Go Off in a Caravan. And this one is actually number five in the series. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that. Because Faye, you did. You did a little bit of research about this about this book series. I did. Yes, I'll have some fun facts for us. I love fun facts. First and foremost, question is: um, Is Enid Blyton uh, real? Yes. Really? She is a real, yes, real person. Because a lot of times when you read these children's uh, series, whether they're children's mystery series or a different kind of series, there will be a, you know, a pseudonym and a whole bunch of people um, right. write the books. But you're saying there there actually is an Enid Blyton. She was born in 1897 and she died in 1968. 97 mm-hmm. to 68. You know, she lived through some pretty incredible uh, times. She did indeed, and and she decided to spend hers um, writing a series of eh, kind of inane uh, children's novels. But uh, uh, what else is there? Anything else that you learned about Enid Blyton that you think people would be interested to uh, interested to know? Well, I mostly learned about um, Enid Blyton and her relationships to the stories uh, that she wrote. That she was a children's author. She originally for the Famous Five, she only intended to write six or eight books in the series. Okay, um, how she many had are other there? Plans. There are 21 full-length Famous Five novels. So, like, we could really do, like, an entire Hardy Boys drink book, you know, volume two, just of the Famous Five novels. Yes, if, if we yeah. Really wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, they're high, they were, um, had incredibly high sales and great uh, commercial success. And so she went on to not only write the 21 full-length Famous Five novels, but she also wrote a number of other series in similar style that followed groups of children discovering crime on holiday in the countryside. They just always happen to go on these vacation, you know, these these adventures when they're on vacation. Right. Yes, on holiday. Mm-hmm. So, so she wrote multiple books about groups of children solving mysteries. She did, apparently. Like the the five weren't enough for her, or did she get? I mean, I got, I got to be honest with you. I was tired of them by the end of the book. So maybe by I mean by the end of 21 maybe she was also i agree i wholeheartedly agree with that yeah that maybe she was like i'm done with these kids i'm done with this dog i'm gonna write about other kids that damn dog yeah uh, (laughs) what Faye is referring to is the fact that um the famous five are actually only four because one of the five is a dog not even a talking dog not nope you're right not even a talking dog Uh, and uh 
I also has thoughts. I don't, I don't like the way she writes. I don't like the way she writes animals. You know, it's like she, she won't make them talk, but she makes them like sit there. And then she puts in in the narration like he sat there as if to say, oh, I don't right, like yeah. this at all. Just make the dog <laughs> say it or at least think it. You know what I mean? I know. Like, duh, yeah. Duh. It it feels like the, like uh, like all of the times that that she talks about the animals and perspectives from the animals, it's like one degree removed. It's like yeah, it's like a human looking at the animal and being like, "Well, if it were me, I would say." And I'm like, "You don't Which, come on now. You can't. You don't know that that's what the do animal that. is. You don't know. Are you are you a male dog? You don't know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know that's that's its its own thing. I guess we should probably talk a little bit about about the five. Um, so right. tell, tell me about the five, uh, Faye, who, who are the famous five? Let's see. The famous five are, are, you know, we just said our four kids and a dog. Julian is the oldest, um, of our five, of our four kids, but our five total. And when the series starts, Julian is 12 years old, which once we get into the tale of this story, I think there's a lot of responsibility on a 12 year old's shoulders. Yeah. No crap. Also, yeah. um, so they wait. So they actually age up as the series goes on, because in the oh. book that we read, Julian's like 17. Yes, a little bit. He does. They do say that over time he reaches his goal of fully maturing into a young adult. Wait a minute. Are, <laughs> that makes it sound like he decides whether or not he ages. I, maybe he has a solid friendship with Peter Pan. I mean, we all have to go through a series of trials to grow up, I guess. But the way that's phrased makes it seem like through, <laughs> I don't know, like he beat enough Pokemon gym masters that he was able to turn <laughs> 17, you know, or something like that. Like, I, yeah. He, he thought he was going to die races. before being a young adult. He didn't yeah. really get that. <laughs> It's really funny that you describe Julian as the oldest because that's literally the only bullet point I wrote for him as a character description. The oldest. So uh, the next uh, in our group is Dick. Dick is a year younger than his brother Julian. So at the start of the series, he's 11 and the same age as his cousin George, who I will introduce next. Dick is is kind of known for his cheeky sense of humor. Um, But he's dependable and kind. And even though he likes to pick at his littlest sister... He is also very caring towards her when she is scared and upset. Yeah. Dick is responsible for using his wits to save the five on a lot of their adventures. That's a, oh. That was said repeatedly about him, is that he is usually the most clever in saving the five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I Maybe think, I uh, missed that in this story, but apparently <laughs> generally, generally Dick is invaluable. Uh, okay. Who else we Next got? Next is George. Yep. George is a tomboy. She's also yeah, 11. I, I, I think if this series were um, were written today, um, you know, George would be called uh, maybe trans. Gender fluid. Yep. Gender fluid. George the gender fluid goes by, or actually, real name is Georgina, right? Yes, Georgina. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, th- these books were written in the 40s, so just the fact that she cuts her hair short and wears pants makes everybody be like, what the fuck? What? Yeah. yeah and um, she requests that people call her Master George instead of Miss. W- oh, really? Mm-hmm. Master George? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so she's got a she's got a complex on top of it. George's people are pretty sure that this the George was in very intentional um, the way she presents he presents 
um, by Blighton. And at one point, Blighton revealed that the character, at least her like strong headedness and being kind of courageous by nature was actually based on Blighton herself. Oh. Whether uh, Blighton also, but I didn't find any facts to say that Blighton also preferred to dress in men's clothes or interesting be thought of as a man. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. Okay. That's cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. Two more. Annie is the youngest of the group. And the girl, girl, she takes care of all the domestic duties when the five are on adventure. She's also Um, the youngest, right? Yeah, she's 10. Yep. Oh, 10. Okay. That's that makes. Oh, she's 10 when the series starts. That makes more sense because like for some reason in my mind, I was picturing Anne as like six or seven. I was going to say seven. Yeah, and, like, I both, like, thought it was, like, one, really adorable when she's, like, making them sandwiches and hard-boiled eggs and stuff. (laughs) And other times, like, stop checking the pantry and seeing what's... You don't... You're just pretending to be a Yeah, exactly. You're seven. (laughs) Exactly. But if she was ten, I guess that makes more sense. Anne spends a lot of time cooking for uh, for the five. Yes, and tidying up. All the womenly duties, as it were. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Who's who's our? And then we got our last our last member, which we already kind of spoiled. Is yes, is is Timmy George's faithful dog? The dog. Um, he's freaking rip off man. Described was, as friendly and clever, but he also provides physical protection for yeah. the other four many yeah. times. Well, and Timmy's lucky because in the very first book, George finds Timmy and brings him home, and her parents make her. She has to hide him from her parents because they say, no, no, you can't have a dog. But then by the end of the book, they say, okay, we give in. You can have the dog. Oh, well, that's kind of yeah. cute. Yeah, I like that. All right. So they had a little They had a little bit of a, uh, a rescue. I assume all of the books, now that we've been introduced to our five, I guess all the books basically, I think we talked about this a little bit. I assume they all start kind of the same way. The kids are hanging out on like a hillside, if I remember correctly, just kind of like watching life go by like you do when you're British in the 1940s. And they're like, I'm bored. Yeah, so am I. And then a circus comes traveling down the road past them with a bunch of wagons that have some animals in them and, you know, and everything. And people are kind of coming out to look, but the children themselves are like, wow, a circus. And they run down to the circus and they meet a little boy who says, we're going up to to camp at this lake. And you should come camp with us or something. I can't remember exactly how, but they go, wouldn't, wouldn't that be lovely? Maybe we can talk our parents into renting some caravans so that we can go camping. And they convince their parents to uh, let them do that. Which, which is just surprising for their ages. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like they borrow some horses and these caravans that are new and shiny and uh, they get supplies and they set off uh, to go camping. Their goal is to get to this lake and then they're going to climb up the hill and camp up there. Camp up in the hills nearby a circus and hang out with their new friend that they met, you know, hitchhiking down the road. And when they get to the uh, to the lake, they find a campsite and some of the adults at the circus uh, uh, chase them away um, and are mean for reasons that the kids... Well, they got to solve a mystery to figure it out. And the kids yeah. end up at a, at a new campsite where basically it turns out that they, they camp directly on top of the bad guy's hideout. And mm-hmm. uh, therein kind of lies their scuffle with a bunch of crooks who work with the circus that they eventually resolve with a bunch of, of uh, hidden treasure. It has, yes. a very, yeah. it has a very Tom Sawyer ending, right? Yes. Like trapped <laughs> in the cave. Are they going to be dead? Are they? Everybody thinks they're dead. 
with some people that get left for dead, uh, you know, but uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of um, it's fairly simplistic and 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 boxed in. What did you think of uh, Famous Five uh, Five go off on a caravan? So my very first impression is that it took me a minute to get into the story. That that was probably the first thing I noticed is like, OK, I wanted yep. the mystery to get off the ground. Yeah. I for guess. the first couple uh, of chapters, I was worried that we were not going to have um, something that we could actually base a podcast on. Right. Me, too. Yeah. I was like, OK, we're eating lots of sandwiches. We're going to lots of farms. Oh, yeah. Lots of tomatoes. And it's just. Yeah. So um, the overall mystery, I thought, was a five out of ten, maybe. So I, I guess uh, I guess one of the things that that struck me right away we're we're both from not only America but the Midwest America and so when I think of a caravan I tend to think of you know covered wagons um, yeah. or or maybe or maybe a whole um, convoy of like uh, semis or RVs you know all kind of on a line together going down the highway one after another after another. But in in this uh, book, five go off in a caravan. A caravan is like a well, it's like a camper that you would yeah, call, like but one that you would tow like behind your car. Sure, like an airstream, like a pull behind. It's not uh, not an RV that you drive, but yeah, like an airstream. You would tow yours behind a car, and and I guess these folks could too. But instead, because it's 1946, theirs and is towed by an old horse. A couple of old horses. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, who have great names, uh, Dobby, and I can't remember the other uh, horse's name. I remember the the one horse is named Dobby because the little boy that they meet at the circus is named Nobby. Nobby, but he's <laughs> yeah. but but he's described as like like a very diminutive kind of urchin like poor sort of mm-hmm. like sniveling kind of character. So I really, even before I was introduced to the horse, before I was introduced to the horse Dobby, I was already comparing Nobby to the house elf Dobby from yeah. Harry Potter. So like I was, my pump was primed for Dobby is all I'm really trying to say. <laughs> so when when Dobby the horse showed up, I was on, and then I also ascribed a whole bunch of like diminutive, weak, you know, like, um, very skinny, bone showing through the skin attributes to Dobby <laughs> that maybe Dobby doesn't deserve. Uh, Dobby the horse, I mean. But, but that's, that's where my brain went with it. So the kids basically talked their parents into letting them rent some campers and then also rent some food and some horses. And I think it, I think it goes without saying. Uh, and there are some examples of this that happen throughout the, uh, the book. But these children are fabulously wealthy. They are. They are, especially yeah. for the 1940s. These kids are are stinking rich. You know, they get to they get to just like, oh yeah. I mean, can you imagine if you, if we, if we were 12 and 14, we would have said like, hey, mom and dad, we want to we want to rent a bunch of horses and uh, and campers and coolers and food, and we're gonna leave for like three weeks. A long time, yeah. Not just like a weekend overnight. 
But like they're gone a long you time. Know, and uh, yeah, and like uh, yeah, it's just crazy. They have an insane amount of money and an insane amount of trust from their uh, the adults in their lives. But I guess this is adventure uh-huh. number five. Right. And this so adventure, they get like they get some guns pointed at them and stuff, don't they? Like so maybe they, I mean they've been they've been through some stuff here. So maybe maybe they've proven themselves to the adults in their uh, in their lives. I don't like a lot of their names. Like I was fine no. with was fine with Nobby Dobby in that whole thing, but um, Nobby and Nobby is the little boy who they meet. Um, who comes along with the with the circus. And he's got a couple of, of dogs, um, little kind right. of terriers that run around with him. And their names are Barker and Growler. Mm. Whatever. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's how I felt. It's serviceable. Oh, okay, and then there is a uh, a chimp. Is it a chimpanzee? Yes, it is a chimpanzee. Yeah. Name, name Of course his name is Pongo. And, you know, I have to say that, that the chimp was, was terribly entertaining. And I can't imagine how boring a lot of these books must be without Pongo uh, in them. Or, I mean, he pulls a lot of the same jokes over and over again. Uh, I really liked all the times that, like, Pongo would would like pretend to be sad uh, or like excited. And then the the five, usually Anne, would be like, oh, that poor chimp. He just wants more candy or whatever. And then Nobby would be like, he's a chimp, okay? If you open that jar, he's going to eat all the candy inside it. (laughs) And then he's going to, you know, like... <laughs> like, what are you doing? It's a wild animal. Yeah. <laughs> so I really like that relationship back and forth between the two of them. And the number of times that, that yeah, that Nobby would just go chasing after Pongo, kind of kind of cursing after him and being like, you <laughs> yeah. don't take advantage of these dumb rich kids, Pongo. Uh, I also don't, I don't like how the animals are written. We talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Like, it's like, even like the horses have these moments where they're like, wow, another horse. He seemed to, he seemed to say with the swish of his tail, just like make him think it. What were, what were some of your favorite parts of the, uh, of the book or, or some of your favorite, I don't, I don't know, kind of moments of style or anything like that? What's, what stood out to you? Probably, like you said, initially, like the, the language, the different, you know, different phrases that you're reading along and you know exactly what it means but it's it's just different worded like when the caravans come and said one's red and the other's green bags i the red one well i think we say like dibs or you know yeah i tag that one yeah Um, yeah 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 that was fun i got a kick out of george i thought george was pretty funny she just kind of, he just kind of sets off a lot of the time, like a little fiery temper yeah she there i think there's more than one instance where she trembles with rage which you know with rage (laughs) Yeah, like a 15-year-old girl just raging out. Trembling with rage. I can think of sometimes as a teenager when I trembled with rage. Um, Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was this type of children's book. It would be really interesting to do uh uh, you know, a historical deep dive on kind of when this trend occurred, probably after World War II, of kind of making children's books a little safer. And I feel like this is kind of pre that. The danger is like, is real. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. The, the, you know, the, the kid that they encounter who has rough parents that they want to stay clear of, you know, Nobby's kind of caretakers in the circus, you know, they they physically abuse him. And he shows up yeah. with bruises that they talk about where adults are not afraid to, you know, point guns at kids and things like that. And, and that kind of stuff doesn't really happen, I feel like, in in mo- most modern fiction, although I guess I don't read a lot of, of children's fiction. But anyway, it just struck me as a very kind of definite 40s tone, you know. 
No, and I think, and I, you're, I agree with you. One of the notes that I have over and over again in the book is that's child abuse. And not just by Nabi's parents, but it seems like other people in the circus are welcome, like Tiger Dan and Lou, the two names of the bad guys, uh, that they're also welcome to just slap Nabi around as they see fit. Which makes me like Pongo all the more because he protects Nobby sometimes. Like that, maybe that's another soft spot in my heart. Is like, yeah, he he protects Nobby and he he doesn't like it when Nobby gets smacked around, which is good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That is nice, and yeah, and protects them from the the yeah, kind of the two the two surliest characters of the um of the circus um, and the two who it turns out are running a, they're running a stolen goods racket and they've, they've found a cave uh, uh, underneath this mountain and they've, they've made a secret hideout. So I want to talk about this secret hideout that they find. The children stumble upon it because they happen to park their caravan accidentally right over the top of it. Right. And so mm-hmm. when Lou and Tiger Dan, the kind of two bad guys, come tromping up the hill with their thing of stolen goods. They come around the corner and find, well, those meddling kids have parked their camper right on top of the entrance to our secret lair. And they're pissed. And you know what? I would be pissed, too. Like, of all the places, kids. Well, and yeah, we told you to get out of here. They move the camper out of the way and they pull some kind of boards. They move some some. Uh, grass that's covering up some loose boards and then you peel up the boards and there's a hole down into the ground. It reminds me of every time I was a kid. And when I say a kid, I mean like like an eight-year-old kid or a nine-year-old kid. And I went like out in the backyard with a shovel and convinced myself I was going to like dig myself a fort. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, yep. oh yeah, I'll, I'll only dig like nine feet down in a perfectly well shape. And then I'll tunnel out a bunch of rooms. <laughs> and like, you remember how you would do that when you were like a yeah. little kid? You'd be like, oh yeah, this thing I'm doing with a shovel right now. And you never got discouraged by the fact that like every time you dug a hole, that pine needles would slide into your stupid hole. Yeah. <laughs> You were never getting anywhere, but somehow these guys turned that into a secret cave fort with like glowing phosphorescent rocks inside. Yeah, how it lucky. Just, it struck me as like I was like Eden Enid Blyton has never dug a fort before. <laughs> if she thinks this is possible. She's never tried to dig. Nobby is my favorite character. Because at least he, yeah. ha- he Nobby has an arc. Like he he starts in a place and, and Yeah. And ends up in a better place. He doesn't stay with the circus. He Nope. There's there happens to be a farm nearby, and this is another one of those like super forties kind of moments. I feel like is that everywhere they go, they can just walk up to the farm and be like, "Hey, we want to buy eggs." <laughs> and the people are aren't like, "Get off my property! Who are you? You're a stranger." They're like, "Okay." One thing I want to say: we keep coming back to like I thought these kids were much younger than they are. So like I when I would think of Julian going up to a farm to ask to buy eggs, like in my head, he was 12. And or so like when I, Dick shows up the second day and is like, hi, I'm here to buy like two baskets worth of ham and bread and like all, you know, and I'm like, and I'm no imagining, yeah, like you said, like a 10 year old kid. No one's like, OK, you know? where are your mom and dad? Or like, we're just scanning by ourselves. So once I had to like change my mindset once I learned um, how old they actually are, because that's like, OK, sure. Teenagers, preteens. Yeah. But yes, they're so so back to the farms. It's like this, it's like a perfect farm. Yes, yeah. Picturesque. Like it's like when you it's like when you tell a young person in your family that the family dog went to live on a farm. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's the farm you're talking about. Yes. You know what I mean? Like 
Like the sun is always shining at that perfect angle of like late in the afternoon, golden. It's such a perfect farm that at the end of the story, when the famous five are like, so it turns out we know this orphan. Yeah. <laughs> the farm is like, he can live here. He can take care I'm of really the horses. Surprised. I was honestly surprised that they didn't find a job for the orangutan or the, excuse me, the chimpanzee uh, at the farm. I agree. Yeah. Because what's uh, going to, I mean. Yeah. Because I was really expecting him to go live at the farm too. But yeah, Nobby does get a happy ending. Nobby ends up uh, living at the farm. Uh, to while away his days taking care of the of, of the horses which the children um, know he's good with horses because he stands on the back of one right at one point when they're at and and talks extensively about how he really loves the horses True, and yeah. that if the guy who took care of the horses wasn't so abusive to him right maybe he would have more opportunities to be nice to the horses. But he does but he does stand you know you're right he stands he like surfs on top of the horse. Mm-hmm. He does some amazing circus horse riding tricks. The circus animals almost every time they appeared were a delight. Yes, yeah. Even when I was so sad, you know what I mean? Like um the elephant's name is Old Lady. Yeah. And they talk about how old lady spends almost her entire life chained to a tree. Um, yeah. And you're like, oh, God, yeah. these poor animals. Mm-hmm. You know? There's the lady who has the cages full of monkeys. And at one point, all the monkeys get out and go running around. And then she chases them and yells at them all to come back. And that's kind of a cute little scene. But I felt like the most telling part of that scene was when Dobby says, uh, those monkeys don't like anybody but her. And she doesn't like anybody but the monkeys. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, man, that's sad. You know, Very <laughs> much so. Yeah, there were moments like. Oh. This wasn't a fun circus. This wasn't a happy circus. No. Uh-uh. I kind of wish that the monkeys had, or the animals in general, not just the monkeys, that the animals had been in on the scheme. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. That it wasn't just. The whole idea is that Lou and Tiger Dan, who are clowns, right? Yep. Or Yeah, they're both clowns in the circus, um, but they're but they're pickpockets yep. and they travel from town to town and they, they fleece the, the circus goers in every town they're at. And then every summer they come back to this, you know, a little camping spot and they stow all of their stolen goods up in this cave wait a little while for the heat to die down and then they sell it all off which is actually a pretty sweet scam and i got they probably got away with it for years before these meddling kids showed up i really wish that the animals had been in on it you know what i mean if like if if they had discovered that there was a robbery scheme going on because like ann's earrings went missing and then it turned out that like pongo had them hidden behind his own ears yeah or something like that and they were like, oh, the monkey's been stealing. Oh, they, they trained the animals to steal. Old lady just stole the keys out of my pocket with her trunk. You know, like, and they had trained all the animals to pick pockets. Like, that would have been. That would have been great. But instead, it's just a couple of thugs, and they get angry and, you know, and seedy and threaten to beat up the kids. Threaten to beat up the kids. Leave them for dead. They'll yeah, starve to decide death. They're gonna, yeah, yeah, literally. They're like, oh, they'll just starve to death. <laughs> yeah, it's not murder if we're just negligent. So we were talking earlier about just how kind of wealthy uh, the famous five are and how that wealth kind of makes them stand out uh, against the people that they encounter. One of my favorite examples of that is is actually kind of subtle. Uh, it's when they're first kind of hanging out in at the circus tent uh, once they've we, we, they've gone to the circus camp to meet not you know Nobby's uh, friends and all of the animals and they're all playing and splashing in the lake together. And at one point, Nobby says, uh, uh, hey, this has been fun swimming, but let's go back to shore. I'll, I'll race you back to shore. Uh, I bet I can beat you. And then it's not any of the children. It's the narrator. It's Enid Blyton says, uh, and he swam as fast as, of could, as he could, but of course he wasn't able to beat the children because he couldn't swim properly. 
Aha, uh-huh. they've had swimming lessons. Exactly. And he just knows how to swim because Tiger Dan threw him into a pond one time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, but I just love that that just little shade. Yes, and their caravans, they talk about how their caravans are much nicer than, say, Nobby or the circus caravans. And how they wouldn't want to stay in caravans like Nobby is in. Right, that's right. And and Nobby is blown away because he's like, oh my gosh, yours has like a sink in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got curtains over the windows. I know. They lock from the inside, lock from the outside. There's a whole thing about how they only lock from, I can't remember, they, the outside or something weird like that. Yeah, because George locks the girls in at night. Or uh, Julian. Right. Julian that, locks Julian the- locks, locks the girls in well, I mean, to, to be fair, Lou and Tiger Dan are, are kind of prowling around their campsite a couple of nights. At one point, don't they literally walk into their... Yes, yeah. Yeah, into George and... Yeah, because and... they, they, they're not expecting to find them there, and they, they stumble into them in the dark while trying to carry their stolen goods to their secret cave. In this, in this story, we don't find out, you know, we get to meet Julian and Anne and Dick's parents, but and we get to know a little bit about George's parents. George's family home is on at Kieran Cottage in Dorset, England, picturesque Kieran Island, owned by George and her family in Kieran Bay. So we talk about how wealthy these kids are. George and her family own an island. And George's home and the other houses the children stay in or visit are hundreds of years old and they contain secret passages or smugglers tunnels. Oh, fun. Man. Yeah. George is absolutely the kind of... uh... The kind of relative that you keep in good graces so you can continue to hang out in her fun <laughs> smuggler's tunnels. Definitely. Did you feel like the chapter names got dumber? Yes. As the story went on? Like they start with names, with chap. well, I'm just going to read a couple mm-hmm. from them. Some of them, like they're like uh, the beginning of the holidays. Away they go. An unpleasant meeting. But then chapter 15, several things happen. <laughs> I like 20. Yeah, chapter 20, more excitement. (laughs) Come on. You know what I mean? Like, did you, were you throwing darts at a dartboard or like, you're like, I don't know. Well, a story. A lot of, you know what? A lot of things do happen in this chapter. What would be a good description of this chapter? Several things happen. Worst name for a chapter (laughs) ever. Yeah, as the book got more exciting, the chapter names got worse. So, Faye, what were your uh, final thoughts on uh, Famous Five's Five Go Off in a Caravan? I thought that it was an entertaining read. Now that we have talked and done the podcasting, I would be, there are new things I'm interested in reading another one. If it were just a um, choice of mine, I'm not sure I would pick it up again. But it was a it was a fun read. It was fun to get to experience a new set of kids on adventure. Overall, it, it was it was entertaining. I'd read another story, but I feel like I could do without Anne and Timmy. <laughs> yeah, both of them. I, I guess I'd I guess I'd watch Dick and Julian and and George go off on another adventure together. Although in my descriptions, you came up with a lot better descriptions of the characters than I did. Um, you were like, oh, you know, Dick is like smart and clever, and he's the younger brother. My description of Dick was also there. <laughs> Uh, so like, yeah. Uh, I guess maybe I could also take or leave Dick as well is what that means. But so George um, and Julian, Adventures of George and Julian. George and Julian. Yeah. I guess I want to. I want to see the two of them go off and 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 do a buddy cop movie. Together. Like- <laughs>
No, hey, you know, in general, the Famous Five was was a solid uh, was a solid read. It was a solid children's mystery. I've read worse mm-hmm. uh, books in this genre, and and yeah, I would I would recommend Famous Five. I don't know if I'd recommend it to hard boiled crime fans, but if if you're looking for another kid series to keep your kid entertained for another eight or ten books uh, or twenty one, right. uh, as the case may be. Uh, I I would definitely recommend Enid Blyton and the Famous Five. Yeah, yeah. Faye, this was a lot of fun. I can't wait to do another one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to doing another one and getting on to some more drunken gumshoes. Until next time, Adventure Fans.